What happens in the unseen world when you fast and when you pray? It's the story of Moses and the Amalekites, Moses and the children of Israel fighting the Amalekites. And God told him to go up on the mountain and lift his hands toward heaven. He said in Exodus 17 and verse 11, lift your hands, Moses. God commanded him to. And as long as he had his hands in a physical posture raised toward heaven in obedience to what God told him to do with a physical command and place a posture, the way what he did with his body, as long as, as he had physical obedience, he was winning the battle in the unseen world because of his physical obedience. This story is important because it reinforces the fact that physical obedience, listen, brings spiritual release. You can say, well, if God's gonna win the battle, he'll just win the battle. But in this story, God said, what you do with your physical body, Moses, determines whether or not this particular battle is gonna be won. Because physical obedience brings spiritual release. That's why this story is so important that somehow there is a connection between what we do physically and what happens spiritually. What we do here with our physical bodies makes a difference of what happens in the unseen world. Angels were released into that battle when he raised his hands physically. If his hands started coming down because God told him to do it. And if his hands started coming down, then the angels would withdraw and the enemy would begin to defeat. Hebrews chapter one says that angels are sent out to render services on behalf of those who inherit salvation. It says the angels of God are spirits that are sent as, as flames of fire. It says it in that same chapter later, in that same chapter there, he'll make his ministers flames of fire. His, he, he, he mentions that, that there is breath, there is wind, this wind and fire. That's what angels are like. And he said, I'll release those angels and they will be dispatched into the situation. So get it now. Here's the point. Hands are raised. And as long as Moses obeys what God tells him to do with a physical act, the battle is won because of what he's doing physically with his body. If his hands go down, then he begins to lose the battle. You see, the Bible said, lift up your hands without wrath or doubting. The word wrath means don't get mad about the instruction God's given you to do something physically. Do it without wrath and then do it without doubting. Doubting means don't question what good does it do. Don't question when God tells you to do something physically. If he said, lift your hands, don't stand there arguing with God saying, I don't have to do that. No, the truth is physical obedience brings spiritual release every time. In the modern church, we have reduced everything down to feelings and intellect and not to any physical actions. 
I feel like I'm humble, so I never have to get on my knees and bow before the Lord. I feel like I love the Lord and I worship Him on the inside and I don't have to clap my hands. I don't have to raise my hands. I don't have to stand to my feet and worship God physically with my body. God knows my heart. I feel faith, so I don't have to risk anything. I have faith in my heart. Everything gets reduced down in the modern day church to internal stuff and there is no outward manifestation. But if you tell your wife or your husband, I love you on the inside, but you never show it on the outside, they're going to question you. And God says, sometimes I demand of my people a physical act of obedience before I release spiritual reward. And fasting is one of those acts of obedience. There are times when God requires of all of us a physical action, a physical action. Why? Because there's a connection between the physical action here and the spiritual power that is released there. Moses with his hands up, as long as his hands are up, Israel wins. Physical obedience releases spiritual power, favor, help, protection, healing, miracles, blessing. And when you begin to fast and pray, you release God's supernatural power and forces of heaven. I'm going to show you this right out of the Bible. You know, I, I hear this little saying, higher levels, higher devils. And that's a good saying, and I get it, you know, that the higher you go up in God, the more the devil fights you. But it's almost, that's, that statement almost glorifies the devil to me. Higher levels, higher devils. It almost says, I don't want to get, oh, I don't want to go too high because then the devil will know who I am and really attack me. He already knows who you are. And who is protected more on a battlefield? A private, a new enlisted soldier? or a five-star general? Who has more soldiers around him protecting him, the private or the general? The truth is, listen to this, higher level, higher angelic protection, higher angelic participation in the assignment God has given you. The greater God trusts you with greater assignments, the greater he's like Elisha when, he, when his servant went out and said, oh my God, the Assyrians are surrounding us. What are we going to do, prophet? He said, just relax. Lord, open his eyes. And he looked out and, and when he looked again, he saw chariots of horses and fire surrounding them because the higher the call on your life and assignment, the higher the divine protection of God around you and your family. Don't be afraid to dream big, to ask big, to believe get big. I'm not going to back down because I'm scared the devil will fight me more if we keep doing more. We've just begun and we're going to higher levels and we're going to have more angelic protection. Clap your hands and praise God if you believe it. Hmm. Daniel chapter 10, I'll begin reading with verse 2. In those days... I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, no meat, no wine came in my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks 
were fulfilled. Verse 10, suddenly, while I was fasting, while I was eating vegetables, while I was seeking God, while I was praying, I made a vow, I told God, and if you read Daniel chapter one, he goes into detail of what he ate. He said, I ate vegetables and water and I abstained from pleasant food. He said, while I was in this three week time, an angel came, verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me that made me tremble on my knees and on the palm of my hands. And he said, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. Understand the words I speak to you. This is an angel talking to him. And notice he said, I come and this is how God feels about you. Oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved. Understand the words I speak to you. Stand upright for I have been sent to you. While he was speaking the word to me, I started to tremble. Verse three, he said, I ate no pleasant bread. Listen carefully. The word pleasant there is desirable. I ate no pleasant or desirable bread. What's interesting is when when Daniel 11 said, or Daniel 10 and verse 11 says, Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. The word greatly beloved is the same word described desirable. Oh, Daniel, greatly desired. I ate no desirable bread. God's response was, Oh, Daniel, you are greatly desired by me. I ate no desirable food. I became a man greatly desired by God during this 21 days. There's a difference, folks, between God's love and God's favor. God's love is 100% full on seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's nothing you can do that can make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that can make him love you less. You don't earn it. You can never deserve it. His love is full. His love is free. And God loves you. There is a difference between God's love and God's favor. Favor is different because it is initially given to us as a gift. And its increase in our life is dependent upon our stewardship of what we do to gain God's favor. The love of God is, it, it, it is absolutely full and free. It's perfect love and it's full and it's yours. But the favor of God does not come in its fullness on your life until you do certain things that gets God's attention. You can't buy God's favor, but you do not get more of God's favor without sacrifice. The increase of favor comes from obedience and sacrifice. Daniel's story is a story of favor. It's a picture of unusual increase of favor. 
God says, when you win my favor, when you do things, there's something about you doing a physical act of obedience that brings spiritual release of favor and blessing. Look out, miracles will come, favor will come, blessing will come, God will raise you up. It's less of you and more of him. And you know when you get there, to God be the glory. He said, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understands the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for I have been sent to you. Do not fear, Daniel. Listen, from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words were heard. I have come because of your words. Listen now, the angel's talking. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. There was a principality over Persia, which is Iran, and this strong demon power withstood me, the angel said, for 21 days. But because you kept fasting and praying, Michael, one of the chief princes, Michael, came to help me. There are three major angels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Lucifer failed, Gabriel brings messages, but Michael is the warring angel, and he was sent as reinforcements to break through the enemy's resistance. Now let me explain something to you. There is no battle between God and Satan. God, God's not warring with the devil. God said, if I by the finger of God cast Satan out, all God's gotta do is flip his finger. He, he gave the devil a, the, the finger and, and cast him out of heaven. There's not like this big battle. There is no war between God and Satan. But listen, everything was created for a purpose. There is a war between the angelic forces and demonic forces and you and I get to vote who wins. That's what this story teaches. That there are angels and demons that are battling and angels have the answer to prayer and they're battling and you and I, what we do physically can release spiritual power to those angels. We vote in the battle of the heavenlies. Now let me close with this thought. In that story, in Mark chapter 17, when the disciples said, why could we not cast this devil out? Jesus gave two reasons. He said, you have unbelief and you are a perverse generation. In other words, he was saying to his own disciples, because that's who asked him. Number one, if you have unbelief, you have, you have disconnected from God. You have disconnected from the word. You have disconnected from praise and worship. You have disconnected from church. You have disconnected from my presence. You have disconnected from hungering for me. And when you disconnect from God, unbelief begins to take over. You're not faith-filled. Unbelief begins to take over your life. Fear, anxiety, hopelessness, despair. And he said, first of all, your unbelief, you're disconnected from God. Now watch this, and you're perverse, comes from the word pervert. In other words, he's saying, you, you're not connected to God. And on top of that, you're too connected to the world. But let me tell you how you fix that. This kind comes by fasting and prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is connecting to God 
connecting back to God. Fasting is disconnecting from the world disconnecting from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I don't care who you are. I constantly, I am your pastor. I am your preacher. I do this full time and I constantly have to go back and align myself and say, God help me because I'm disconnecting from you and I'm connecting to the world. And that's why I love this season when we get real, when we get honest, when we get to this place where we feel like we're disconnected from God, we're too connected to the world world. In comes fasting and it disconnects us from the world and in comes prayer. It reconnects us to God and suddenly we have dominion and power over the enemy and a fresh anointing and we obtain the favor of God again on our lives. Somebody give him a great shout of praise. Don't you want that? Say this, if I give up desirable food, I'll become very desirable to God the next 21 days. That's not a boastful statement. That's not an arrogant statement. But the fact that God can say over me, and all he did was gave up meat and bread and sugar and ate vegetables And God said, oh, Daniel, you are greatly desirable to me because you're doing something physical that brings spiritual release in heaven. Hey folks, welcome back to the vlog. My name is Lindsay and this is Tiny Notes from Home. Today we have a short video where we're just gonna talk about why I cover my head. In case you're new here, my husband Bracken and I write and record music in our home studio and you can check out that music on our other channel, Sounds Like Rain. But on this channel, we release a weekly family vlog and we just like to share encouragement and thoughts from our faith and just life as a family. So this video will be in two parts. First, we're going to discuss why we practice the head covering. And then secondly, I'm going to show how I wear my head covering. A lot of people have asked about that as well. This video is a follow-up from a Q&A video that we did a couple of weeks ago answering some of your questions. And the most common question that we get asked is, why does Lindsay cover her head? We don't necessarily want to emphasize that part of our faith. It's a part of our faith, but it's not the whole of our faith. It's an important part of our faith, but it's not the most important part. A lot of what we live and practice in our faith walk has to do with how we read and interpret the scriptures. It all started about 12 years ago when we began to open the scriptures and read them in a new light we were really challenged by what we were reading in light of how we were living. And we wanted to be more obedient to the words that we were inspired by Christ. And there are a lot of things in the scripture that apply to our lives as followers of Jesus. Most of them are inward. These are the issues of the heart that we really need to wrestle against. But there are also external things that apply to us as Christians in terms of how we deal with each other the way we treat each other, how our marriages and families should be organized and arranged. And a lot of people will go straight to these external things and start practicing them without having a true change from within. Anything that we do in our Christian walk should come from 
the inside. It should come from a desire to honor the Lord. So before I even began to wear a head covering, we were also very convicted about um, the order in our own marriage and in our home. Uh, I think more importantly than practicing something externally like Bracken said, is having that obedience in your heart. God has ordained a natural order in His creation. You know, men and women are, are equal. We um, are equal in God's eyes of, of the same worth, but He's given us different roles in, the, in marriage. The biblical model is for the husband to be the leader of his home, but that doesn't mean that the wife has no role or no voice in, in that process. I'd say she's more important. And that brings us to the context of the passage in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but here are a few highlights to paint a picture for you in terms of what this order looks like and how it applies in our marriage. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So we have the Heavenly Father, we have Jesus His Son, <laughs> We have man and we have woman. He goes on to say, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. And we actually see that in popular culture. Even people are saying the Pledge of Allegiance or singing the national anthem or praying in public, a man will remove his hat. That's, that comes from this scripture. He says then, um, But a woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, for that is one of the same as if her head were shaved. And that's something that we don't see practiced in today's culture. 50, 75 years ago, if you went into a church, you probably would have seen a woman with at least a, a hat or something on in the congregational meeting. And although it seems strange, all of this flows out of the creation order. God created man first. And then from man, he took one of Adam's ribs and created woman. That's a beautiful image of our marriage, of how we are literally bone of bone and flesh of flesh. We become one flesh in marriage. So this is not like a hierarchical, dictatorial, authoritarian structure. This is a structure of being woven together and collectively reflecting the image of God in this creation of marriage. So when Paul says that a man indeed ought not to cover his head because he is in the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man, it's reflecting God's creation order. And it goes on to say in verse 10, for this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. So there's two things going on here. One is reflecting God's image in the marriage order. And the second is uh, for the sake of modesty. This passage says that a woman's hair is her glory. And I believe that's one reason why Paul said that a woman should cover her glory so that it doesn't attract unnecessary or unwanted attention to her. I hope we've given justice to the scripture in our explanation of why we practice this. But don't take our word for it. If this is something that you are interested in learning more about, go to the scriptures yourself and study that and seek the Lord. It's been a journey and we're just sharing kind of our testimony. So now I'm going to show you how I cover my head and I'm going to answer some of the practical questions about how I practice it. 
So a couple of quick answers to a few common questions that we've gotten. Um, do I wear it all the time? No, I don't wear it all the time. Mostly at home, I'm not wearing it. Uh, but if we're going to pray or have like a devotion, then I'll wear I'll my head covering. I don't always wear it when I'm praying. If I'm in bed, I don't have it on. And it's not law. I don't want it to become like a legalistic thing. And so, you know, there has to be flexibility in that. Um, but at the same time, I want to practice it, and so I want to be consistent in how I practice it. So that's how I practice it at home, but I do consistently wear it um, in a larger congregational setting when we're having fellowship. And most of the people that we fellowship do practice this as well, but not all of them. Although we feel it is an important part of our faith expression, we do not draw lines of fellowship around it. I also cover my head when I go out on errands, when I'm in public, and of course on the vlog because it is a public space. So those are some of your questions answered, and now I will show you some of the ways that I tie my head covering. There's different ways that you can wear a head covering. Um, there's different ways to express that, but the most common way that I wear one is just by using a large piece of uh, square gauze material. So this first style, using the gauze fabric, uh, this is about 40 inches square, and this style I just have used mostly because it stays on really well and it's comfortable. I usually take it and I fold it down about like this. So I just pull it down over the back of my hair and I grab like two places and sometimes I just wrap it up like this. Being a mom of five children, it's also nice to have my hair out of the way so that children don't grab it or it doesn't get sat on or stepped on. Um, and this way stays on really well. But if you don't want to tie it up in a bun like that, you can bring it back down and pull these to the front. This is just the way I've done it. It's not any special thing. And then I just tie it underneath in the back. And this just sort of hangs like that. So it's very, very simple. And um, sometimes I wear clips, sometimes I don't. So now I'll show you this style from Garlands of Grace. And it's kind of meant to be like a hanging head covering. They have a lot of different styles and they're very beautiful. So I'll just demonstrate how this is put on. It's very easy. So you just put it on and then it just clasps easily in the back. So that's also very, very easy and simple. So I hope that's been helpful. And I have one final thought that I'd like to share with you. Yeah, and I just wanted to conclude by saying that, you know, my identity or anyone's identity is not in how they dress or in me wearing a head covering, my identity is in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I am a child of God, that is the most important thing. And so I never want for, you know, how I look, how I pr uh, present myself to become my identity. And we also don't want to uh, point at others and cast judgment or anything on anyone else because it's not a blessing. Uh, in the same way that we judge others, we will be judged. So this is an area of grace. This is an area of learning and growing together as we look into the scriptures and uh, with God's help become transformed into the image of Christ 
and his church. So with that, we hope you'll join us in the future for more exciting vlogs as we journey together with you. Uh, we do have new music coming soon, so please subscribe. So go out, make a difference, and serve the Lord with all your heart. See you next time. The General Epistle of Jude Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally, as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Cori. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, 
to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Chapter 11 Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, and drink this cup of the Lord, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, 
the Almighty. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.